This is Saster's Founders Favorite Series, where you can hear some of the best of the best from Saster speakers. This is where the cloud meets. To further their support of entrepreneurs, Dell has created Dell for Entrepreneurs. This free program for startups rewards and advises you from the start of your business and will stay by your side throughout your growth. Each member gets their own startup IT advisor, rewards, and access to Dell Financial Services that can help make lifting your company off the ground faster and easier. Up today, churn is dead. Long live net dollar retention rate with Dave Kellogg, principal at Dave Kellogg Consulting. Today, we're going to talk really about understanding SaaS businesses in general, how to think about them, how to value them. We're going to do that through the lens of SaaS metrics, and today with a particular focus on understanding the healthiness of the install base of a SaaS company. So that's going to quickly bring us to talking about churn, a topic about which I've blogged a lot, and to net dollar retention, which I think is actually a more effective way to get at what churn is trying to measure. So let's jump in. Quick introduction about me. So first, who is this guy? So I've been a CEO of SaaS startups for over 10 years at two different companies. I took Host Analytics from 8 million in ARR to 50 million and MarkLogic from zero to 80 million. In addition to that, I have 10 years as a CMO at two different companies, uh, one Versant where we went from one to 15 and Business Objects where we had kind of an epic run from 30 million to over a billion in revenue. Uh, not valuation, revenue, the old fashioned thing. Uh, and then 10 combined years on five different boards, Aster, Data, and Granular, and three other boards today, Alation, Nuxio, and Prophecy. Uh, I'm also an advisor and angel investor, works with a lot of companies, and, and that's just a sample. Uh, and I'm also a blogger, which we'll talk more about in a minute. So that's who I am. Why do I care about this topic? Well, it's a two-line proof, which is metrics are key to fundraising and fundraising is key to success, right? Any further questions? And certainly now, you know, in today's Silicon Valley, and this has changed over the last 20 years, in today's Silicon Valley, now more than ever, right? The ability to raise money is what separates the winners from the runners-up and the losers. So in the formula, you know, this is not a race, you know, VC back SAS is not a race or a strong kick at the finish, you know, like a quarter mile wins the race. In my opinion, it's a race where you get in first early by driving high growth with the right unit economics. And if you've done that, if you're a leader with good growth at the right unit economics, you can then raise lots of capital and you set up a virtuous cycle, right? The more capital you raise, the faster you grow, the faster you grow with the right unit economics, comma, the more capital you can raise. So that's the name of the game. That's why this matters so much. You know, the other reasons I care about it are one, it's a big impact on valuation and ergo dilution. Second, I'm a huge believer in really trying to understand the guts or the drivers of a SaaS business, uh, and looking at SaaS metrics helps you do that. I think every CEO should have a driver-based model where you play with sales productivity, sales turnover, sales ramp time, marketing is a percent of sales, cost per sale. You put these various drivers in, and you can see what happens to your business, see their impact. And to understand driver-based models, you want to understand SaaS metrics. And finally, the last point is more of a pet peeve. I loathe the general lack of rigor I see when some people discuss SaaS metrics, where, where they talk about metrics without defining them or without knowing what they're counting. And, and there's a lot of that that happens when we get down to churn. So part of this is if we're going to look at these metrics, let's make sure we understand how you're supposed to calculate them, how people game them, and how they're supposed to work. 
So onward. So that's kind of the intro. I do blog a lot about this stuff. Uh, my blog's at kelblog.com. And some of the topics I cover are SaaS businesses in general, kind of all aspects of SaaS businesses, particular emphasis on SaaS metrics, strategy, sales and marketing, which is my background, uh, and more. So if you have a chance, if you like the material today, swing on over to Kelblog and take a look. Among other things, I'll be posting the slides to this presentation there. So we have three topics today. Uh, the first is understanding a SaaS business. Uh, and we're going to talk about why it's hard to understand a SaaS business. We're going to talk about how to think about a SaaS business. And then we're going to talk about kind of basic unit economics. Second section, we're going to talk about the trouble with churn. Because um, it turns out, much as I love churn, I increasingly am kind of skeptical when companies talk about churn rates, and we'll talk about the three problems I see with churn rates that kind of undermine it as a good metric. And by the way, churn rates are used in other calculations. So if churn gets polluted, so do the downstream metrics from churn, which is another problem we'll talk about. And by the way, even the concept of churn itself can be a little bit elusive. So, so we'll talk about that in that second section, the trouble with churn. And then finally, long live, you know, king is dead, long live the king, long live net dollar retention. We'll talk about this. This is actually more of a public company SaaS metric than a private company SaaS metric. And this is kind of, in my mind, the rare case where the public company SaaS metric is better than the private company SaaS metric. So for those of us who have spent all our time in the private world, I'll introduce you to what net dollar retention is. Then we'll, we'll talk about it as a valuation driver. Uh, we'll talk about how to calculate it. We'll talk about how to game it. It too is gameable. And then we'll talk about kind of a new twist on it, which is how to manage it. And then as kind of a preview, we'll end by talking about the metric I see coming after it. So that's what we're going to talk about. But first, let's just go look at the profit and loss statement. We'll start here. Uh, and this, you know, they, they say the average American family has 2.5 children, right? Like there is no actual average American family. This is the average SaaS company. For each of these lines, I took the median off Meritech, uh, and they have a great kind of public comparables website uh, on their website, microsite on their website. And, and I took the median company. So this is the median revenue, the median COGS, the median gross profit. And I just laid it out to a P&L. So this is in many ways kind of the typical public SaaS company. By the way, it actually looks a fair bit like Alteryx. <laughs> um, not in all respects. Alteryx has better gross margins and other things. But if you had to say who was closest to this, kind of just eyeballing it in the data set, it's not miles away from Alteryx. But in any case, this is not Alteryx. This is the typical medium SaaS company. And the answer of where customer success fits into the P&L is uh, sales and marketing, by the way. But in any case, the reason it's hard to understand a SaaS business when you look at the P&L, there's, kind of, there's actually two different reasons. There's what I call the usual suspects here. And then on the next slide, we'll talk about the, the more conceptual reason. But the usual suspects are first, the public companies don't disclose ARR, annual recurring revenue, right? They don't disclose it. Uh, and ARR is your subscription base. How many people are signed up, if you will? Revenue is basically a math problem, right? If you know ARR, then you, revenue is simply a calculation and it is a lagging indicator, not a leading indicator which is why financial analysts don't really look at revenue as much. They look at billings, quote unquote. And billings is a public company SaaS metric. It's revenue plus change in deferred revenue. And it's a way to try and impute what bookings are, um, but they aren't released, i.e. new sales don't get released. So you have to kind of triangulate on it. 
Um, ARR needs to be implied in the same way. Churn is typically not disclosed. So you really, as a public company investor, are getting fairly limited visibility into the core engine driving a SaaS business. Now, if you think about it, it's kind of a one-way transformation, which is given ARR, I can, in a deterministic way, calculate a P&L. Given a P&L, it's non-deterministic to get ARR. Right, I can come up with an infinite number of solutions that will generate that P&L. Maybe not infinite, but I can come up with a lot of different solutions that will generate the same P&L. So it, it is tricky to in, interpret public company SaaS metrics. In fact, I once met, ironically, a public company SaaS CFO who didn't actually understand SaaS unit economics because public company investors can't see them. So crazy stuff. The other problem with trying to understand a SaaS business is it's actually two businesses. You have this overall business that has $465 million in revenue, and it's composed of two very different businesses. One, the recurring business, all those existing customers who hopefully renew every year, right, and every year give you revenue. We'll call that the recurring business. And next to that is a other business called a customer acquisition business, which is out getting customers. And look, I'll walk down the P&L. Let's just assume it costs the same to serve either type of customer. So 23% cost of goods sold. So each business has a 77% gross margin. Now, that's where the similarity kind of ends. If we look, you could argue that 100% of sales and marketing in a SaaS company is to get new customers. It's not entirely true. Somewhere typically around 10% might be the cost of customer success to keep those existing customers. But, but just to make the math simple, I'd put all of sales and marketing into this business that's out getting new customers and none into the business that's recurring, right? Keep the math simple. I split R&D. I just said half of R&D is to keep existing customers happy and renewing. Half is to put in you know, shiny new features that attract new customers. I split G&A on a similar basis. Probably should have prorated it by revenue, didn't do it, but I, I just put GNA 50-50. And, and when you do this exercise, what pops out is you see that a SaaS business is kind of a weighted average of this incredibly profitable recurring business with 55% operating margins and this incredibly unprofitable customer acquisition business. Now, the good news about the business on the right is that it is feeding people to the business on the left, right? And in many ways, you know, in order to make things simple, I, I tend to be very black and white and kind of do dichotomies, right? Just like putting all of sales and marketing into the, to the new business business. The other way to think about this is private equity cares a lot about the middle column, the recurring business, right? And, and lenders who lend to private equity care a lot about that because that's the annuity portion of a SaaS business. And venture capitalists care a lot about the right side, right? Because they want to know how fast you can grow this thing and how efficiently you can add new customers. Now, in the dark recesses of, of virtually every board member's mind, at one point or another, somebody thought, hmm, look at what happens when you turn off sales and marketing. Gosh, I have this incredibly profitable recurring business, right? And, and obviously, you can't do that. As mentioned, you need some sales and marketing to keep the recurring business going, and then you'll well, in effect, you'll stop growing, but will you, right? That's what net dollar retention is actually measuring. What happens to this business if you kind of just leave it alone, right? And, and, and the fantasy, and it is a fantasy, is what if it grew all by itself, right? That recurring business, if it could just grow, if I could get rid of that other business, how much is that recurring business worth? 
And the answer is, of course, as mentioned twice already, it doesn't grow all by itself. I'm oversimplifying to make the point clear. But by the way, it does grow at 40% of the cost of new logo customer acquisition. If you look at the customer acquisition cost ratio, for example, in the key bank survey that I'm citing down below, you'll see that the expansion CAC or the customer acquisition cost of expansion ARR is about 40%, i.e. less than half of the cost of new logo ARR. So this thing doesn't grow all by itself, but gosh, it certainly does grow a lot cheaper uh, than that very expensive new customer acquisition business. Now, Let's go back to private company land because I started us in public company land with the kind of average public SaaS company. But look, in, in private company land, which is where most of the people uh, I think on this call come from, we get to see the underlying SaaS engine. Here's what I call the SaaS leaky bucket, which is I think of a SaaS company as a leaky bucket full of ARR. Right? Every quarter sales dumps more water in. Uh, every quarter customer success tries to minimize the leakage out. Right? So we start with a certain amount of ARR, 3.9 million in this case. In 2Q of 19, we added 525K of new ARR, of which 400 was new logo, 125 was expansion. Right? So new ARR comes in two basic flavors right? from new customers or from existing customers. And then despite their valiant efforts, uh, 100 units of ARR leaked out of the bucket, therefore leaving us with 4.3 million in ending ARR, right? And, and you could just keep running that thing every quarter. Obviously, ending ARR in one quarter is starting ARR in the next. And you could get some good metrics just off this, right? Like how fast is your ending ARR growing year over year? Uh, in fact, if you only had two numbers to give you the value of a SaaS company, it would be ending ARR and growth rate. I could then tell you roughly what that company is worth, kind of a first-order valuation. Uh, another interesting metric is net new ARR. So if you subtract the churn from all of the new ARR, how much did the water level in the bucket change? There's a lot of ways to look at expansion. One simple way is just expansion as a percent of new ARR. People don't talk about this enough. I think it's a real simple to understand metric. To me, when it's less than 20%, maybe you're not exploiting your expansion opportunity much, as much as you should be. When it's over 40%, uh, maybe you're not getting as much new logo as you should be, right? So, so I personally like it running in the 20s and 30s. And then there's net expansion, which is kind of all in if we, uh, not all in, if we take new ARR, sorry, if we take expansion ARR minus churn ARR, what do you have left? So that's kind of your net expansion of the pool. And you can see this company is not doing particularly well on that metric. It went up 25K, i.e. expansion offset churn by 25K into Q19, but then it immediately went negative and, and offset the increase at 3Q19. So, so this company is actually struggling with that, with that metric. But anyway, once you're looking inside a SaaS company's kind of leaky bucket, and you can see the, the, the ARR engine, as I might call it, you can then calculate these kind of core SaaS unit economics metrics. So uh, yeah, new logo to me uh, is, is a lot of different terms for it. Some people call it net new, which I don't like. To me, when you get ARR, you either get it from a new logo, i.e. someone who's not an existing customer, or you get it from an existing customer. So new ARR from a, somebody you're not doing business with is what I'll call new logo ARR. I'll call, some people call it new biz ARR. Some people call it net new ARR, but I, I think it's misleading. And when you get ARR, like if you, if you were an existing customer paying me 100 units and you expanded your contract to 120, uh, that would be expansion ARR, uh, sometimes called upsell. And there are fine distinctions between those terms, but, but grosso modo, um, that's a good set of definitions. So 
probably my favorite SaaS metric is the customer acquisition cost ratio, which is how much are you spending to put a dollar of ARR in that bucket, right? So it's last period sales and marketing expense divided by this period's new ARR. For SaaS metrics nuts, that's actually the inverse of the magic number, which Scale Ventures uh, came up with. Uh, I prefer it in this form because it's more intuitive to me to say how much did a dollar of ARR cost me? So I like the CAC ratio, a very important SAS metric, you know, typically runs around 1.3, you know, below 1.3 is getting to be quite good. Below one is really good. Best I've ever seen was 0.4. Anything between 1.5 and two, people start to scratch their eyebrows. Above two, people get nervous. Above three, people won't talk to you, roughly. (laughs) So lifetime value is one over the churn rate. And this is actually customer lifetime. I made a mistake on the slides. It's a little confusing. But, but the lifetime value is basically the ARR per year times the lifetime. And but the lifetime is one over the churn rate. So if you have a 10% churn rate, we would say your average customer lifetime is 10 years. Now, this is where it gets interesting because there's this notion of, well, wait a minute, you know, is a CAC of two too high? Right? If I'm spending $2 to get a dollar of ARR, is that really too much? It's on the high side compared to averages, but for my business, is it too high? And to answer that question, the best way to do so is say, wait a minute, you paid $2 for something, what's it worth? Right? If you have a, a very high churn rate, just say you have a 50% churn rate, it's a terrible deal right? because you, you paid $2 to get a uh, dollar and a half right? because they went one year and half of them churned, you only got a dollar and a half back. So, so that's not good. But say you have a 10-year LTV, well, gosh, if, if I have a CAC ratio of two at a 10-year LTV, then my LTV to CAC is five. And that's pretty good. I'm getting back five times what I paid, which helps pay for all those other expenses, right? Like R&D and G&A and everything else. So, so LTV to CAC for me for a long time was kind of the ultimate SaaS metric. Like this is it. This is the one that kind of explains everything. It's kind of a balanced scale between how much you're paying for CAC versus how much you're getting back in LTV, right? And conversely, by the way, if you have a really low CAC, great. But if you have a very high churn, well, great. You can acquire customers who churn after a year very cheaply. Who cares, right? It's not a great business. So another metric, which is very popular, and I mention it here because VCs look at it a lot, is CAC payback period. Uh, And this is kind of my unique way of calculating it. It produces the same answer, but if you just take your CAC ratio and divide it by subscription gross margin, you get in years the CAC payback period. What does that mean? If your CAC is two, i.e. you're spending $2 to acquire, let's say your CAC is 1.5, make the math easy. You're spending uh, $1.5 to acquire a dollar of ARR and your subscription gross margins are 75.75, 75%, then that means you get paid back your CAC in two years, right? 1.5 divided by 0.75 is two. So how many years of gross profit does it take to pay back the sales and marketing costs of acquisition? Uh, a lot of people love this metric. You know, VCs in general kind of like all-in-one metrics because they're trying to make an investment decision. I always feel like operators don't love these metrics as much because if it's too high, I don't know which side of it is broken. <laughs> right? If my CAC payback period is too long, is it because my CAC's too high or my subscription margin is too low? And as an operator, I want to go fix it. So in some ways, operators look at SaaS metrics a little bit differently uh, than investors. So you think we're good. Hey, we just did SaaS Unit Economics 101. That's the, we looked at the public company view uh, of a SaaS company. We looked at the private company view. We examined really what are the core key metrics, the leaky bucket, CAC, LTV to CAC, churn. We're good, right? 
Well, no, not so fast. Uh, increasingly, over the last several years, I personally, and I've blogged a lot about churn, I've become increasingly skeptical about churn rates. And, and I almost entitled this section, kind of tongue-in-cheek, Why Private Equity Firms Recalculate All Your Metrics. <laughs> because people play games sometimes with their SaaS metrics. And in the VC side, frankly, I don't see as much recalculation. But when you meet PE people, they will literally take all your financials and just recalculate everything. You, you know, you're going to say your churn is you know, only 10%. They're like, well, we'll figure out what your churn rate is. Just give us uh, the data and we'll calculate all the metrics, right? And, and, and the reasons we're going to talk about in here are, are some of the reasons why. So, so churn in my mind has kind of three fatal flaws or not fatal, but you know, it, in reality, look, the title of the speech is somewhat dramatized. I wouldn't say churn is quite dead. I, I would say churn is wounded. <laughs> and the problems with churn are, are threefold. First, there's too many darn ways to calculate churn. And that makes it ambiguous. Which one are you talking about when you tell me a churn rate? And by the way, you know, it could easily double the number. And any number that if you don't know how it's defined is off by a factor of two, it's kind of a big deal. So it's a little bit too gameable. It's a little bit too misunderstood. Second, churn is used in downstream metrics like LTV to CAC. It's implicitly in there. And unfortunately, if you pollute churn, you pollute everything downstream of churn. So in my mind, churn inflicts kind of collateral damage uh, on LTV. Churn inflicts collateral damage on downstream metrics. And finally, churn, if you get into the details, there is kind of a dark rabbit hole of offsets and timing that even makes churn ARR, that one number, forget rates, just churn ARR itself, a tad ambiguous. Again, thanks for coming. Good luck and uh, happy expansion. Embracing the principles of entrepreneurship and understanding the courage required to take that first step towards becoming a successful business is ingrained in the core Dell technologies. Interested in joining their ecosystem? Email startups at dell.com to learn how they can help any startup grow and scale with Dell Technologies.